This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hello, I'm Nathan Seam for the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine. Thanks for listening to the latest installment of our Out of the Blue podcast series. In today's podcast, I will discuss the Blue Journal article, Six-Minute Walk Test as a COPD Stratification Tool, Insights from the COPD Biomarker Qualification Consortium, with lead author and member of the consortium, Dr. Bart Celli. Though he needs no introduction, Dr. Celli is a leading expert in COPD and practices at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston and is a professor of medicine at the Harvard Medical School. Dr. Celli, I wanted to Thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule to join us for today's podcast. Let's start for a basic introduction to the six-minute walk test for some of our listeners. Could you tell us how the six-minute walk test is done and tell us how uh, clinicians should incorporate the use of a six-minute walk uh, test distance in their management of patients of COPD? Thank you very much, and good day and good morning, good afternoon to all the listeners. Uh, it is a real honor to be sharing this time with you. Uh, I've been practicing COPD-related medicine for the past 35 years, and uh, your question is very appropriate, primarily for clinicians, but also for people who do research, healthcare providers who do research with these patients. The functional capacity of human being, the capacity to walk, is innate and totally related to the fact of being humans. Humans are characterized by enlarged brain, use of the hands, and the capacity to stand on the feet, walk on two legs. Therefore, this is an intrinsic uh, uh, property of being what we are. And as such, as such, the measurement of that capacity is very much related to prognosis. Exercise capacity relates extremely well to, uh, to survival. It relates extremely well to frailty if it is failing. And as such, its measurement remains a, a possible target, easy target to see how compromised a person may be. It is a comprehensive measure. So when you take someone and over six minutes, you in a corridor of 30 minutes, determine how long, how uh, well they perform on that test, how many meters they walk, you're testing not just their muscles, but also their capacity to integrate the information in the brain, the coordination of the muscles, the joints, and therefore it is a test that has value not just for the pulmonologist, but it has value for the human being as a whole. As opposed to needing a bicycle or cardiopulmonary exercise test as measured in the cardiologist or the pulmonary testing office, it is very simple to do, it is reliable, it's been standardized, and it can be done anywhere in the world. So it is a great test, simple, but very predictive. Well, thank you for that background, and let's now get into the, the reason we're here today to talk about your very interesting article. So your study evaluates whether a six-minute walk distance could serve as a useful tool in clinical trials of COPD. Of course, you know better than anyone that multidimensional grading systems such as Bode, your famous paper from, I think, 2004, uh, are better than single markers 
in COPD, such as FEV1, in terms of prognostic information. So why is six-minute walk distance an appealing single biomarker for COPD clinical trials? Well, I'll start by saying, yes, someday perhaps we will be measuring comprehensive indices in everyone who gets in a clinical trial. However, conceptually, COPD is a disease that not only affects the lungs, in which the FE1 is a great marker, or the perception, where the quality of life is a great marker, but importantly, as I mentioned in the definition of the test, the functional capacity, the capacity to perform exercise. We have advanced a lot on therapies that impact on lung function, bronchodilators, anti-inflammatories. But if COPD is affected or has compromise in domains different from the lungs, it would be very nice if we looked outside of the thorax, outside of the lungs, and developed therapies of different types aimed at improving the muscles, since that single biomarker is one of the best predictors of poor outcome. So in a, in a sense, the qualification group determined that the six-minute walking distance could be applicable in many instances as a way to test future therapies indicated and aimed at improving that functional capacity. I'd like to end this portion of the question by stating that several studies have shown that in a large group of patients with COPD, the muscles develop sarcopenia, atrophy, disuse, and perhaps even as a consequence of inflammation or accelerated aging, there is a dysfunction of the muscles that could be a target of therapies different from bronchodilators or local inhalers for the lungs that could improve this patient's capacity. So it becomes a single biomarker that could in many ways be used to improve the way in which we treat people who have COPD. Well, thank you for that uh, explanation. And, and I guess it brings up an interesting topic. You mentioned the effect on muscles in COPD, and it's certainly very interesting and, and potentially very important. As you say, functional capacity matters. Uh, I guess when you think about criticisms of the six-minute walk test, though, particularly as an endpoint, um, it's one that it's nonspecific and affected by non-COPD-related factors, but I think you may argue that things like our muscle weakness may indeed be related to COPD. Um, and then, you know, we primarily see it most commonly as a, as a primary endpoint in, in studies when we think of pulmonary hypertension, which is different being a low mortality disease where drug companies are not going to be able to do clinical trials um, to reuse mortality as a primary uh, endpoint. So in COPD trials, we obviously have uh, many clinically meaningful and achievable endpoints such as exacerbation uh, occurring within a time period, hospitalizations, as well as mortality. Uh, so I guess the, the question, the first question I, off the top of my head would be, what's the added value of six-minute walk distance as an endpoint in COPD trials? Well, that is an excellent question. It is indeed a test that is not specific for COPD. Decreased functional capacity is the result of several diseases, and actually it is used in, in diseases different from hypertension alone. For example, it is used a lot in the interstitial lung diseases, field. It is used a lot in the congestive heart failure field, all of which may have in common dysfunction of the muscles. 
and and I would like to open again this this out of the box thinking where perhaps therapy is aimed outside of the specific organ to which we target some of the therapies could result in improvement in in outcomes. Now it is indeed true that you have endpoints such as exacerbations, hospitalizations, and mortality, but those are sort of seen primarily in the very severe patient. When you see a patient in your clinic. The first thing he'll tell you and the reason why they come to see you is because they are short of breath. And the second thing they'll tell you is that their capacity to exercise or function has been impaired. Some of these patients are barely able to walk effectively from the car to your office and they are requesting handicap plates. Or they tell you that they are not able to perform any activities with the grandchildren which are questions that I frequently use to see how well they may be doing. And impacting on that alone is sufficient to use this as an outcome. Indeed, the evidence that six-minute walk responds to therapies aimed at the peripheral muscles is borne out by the studies on rehabilitation. There have been more than 16 randomized trials. It is categorized as being a type A or evidence A in the rehab uh, documents that rehabilitation will result in improvement in the six-minute walking distance, decreased dyspnea more than any pharmacotherapy that we have, and on top of that, decreased healthcare utilization. It is likely, in my opinion, that individuals who have the disease, who have a low six-minute walking distance, would improve in that as an intermediate biomarker outcome that would reflect whether they're getting better or decreased in the risk of exacerbations, hospitalizations, and mortality. So selecting individuals who are impaired on the six-minute walking distance and subjecting them to therapies that could reproduce someday perhaps orally or inhaled what rehabilitation does, I think would be a great advance in COPD, but also in some of the diseases that you have mentioned, which may have pathobiologies that are common to all of them. Well, you've led me very nicely into my next question, because obviously, you know, uh, in, in terms of addressing some of those criticisms, it would be it nice to say that uh, six-minute walk distance correlates with clinically meaningful COPD endpoints in some other uh, prior COPD intervention studies. You've alluded to the, the, the pulmonary rehab literature. Um, could you talk a little bit about the evidence base uh, that six-minute walk distance correlates with clinically meaningful COPD endpoints? Absolutely. If you, there is a very nice Cochrane review or several Cochrane reviews, but a superb editorial written by Yves Lacasse from Canada and, uh, and by, uh, by a group in Canada that does a lot of outcomes research where they have said they will not perform any more Cochrane reviews on six minute on uh, pulmonary rehabilitation because it's been shown to improve outcomes. And the outcome that they anchor the, the beneficial effects is primarily the six minute walking distance, a variant of the six minute walking distance, which is the, uh, the shuttle walk test, which is a little timed and a little more complex, but primarily the six minute walking distance. And in that, they do relate the six-minute walking distance as the biggest factor that relates to quality of life. In this particular paper, we show that it relates to hospitalization and to mortality, which already had been suggested 
in a couple of observational studies before, specifically the eclipse where Martin Spruitt had shown relationships between improvement in the six-minute walking distance and improvement in quality of life. Actually, in Lacasse's review, in Milos Puhan's review, also in a Cochrane, in Martin Spruy, it's been determined that the MCID is about 30 meters, between 25 and 30 meters. And the way that MCID has been established is by linking it or triangulating it with what are thought to be clinically important endpoints, such as quality of life and perception of well-being and shortness of breath. So there is evidence that it correlates very well with some of those. Just to follow up on one thing you said there, MCID, does that stand for minimal clinically important distance? That is correct. That is, what is the, uh, the change in the test that relates to a clinically important outcome? And this is now used a lot to try to establish new biomarkers as what level of change would mean that they're clinically significant. Yes, and, and thank you for explaining that. that. That's an important concept. Obviously, we say something is statistically significant. They walked 10 more meters or 20 more meters, but what is a clinically significant? Exactly. And it's been established in, in several trials that is around 30 meters, 25 to 30 meters. Okay. Well, that's very important. So I wanted to, you've already alluded a little bit to the specifics of your paper, and I don't want to keep our audience in suspense anymore. So let's get to some of the specifics. So you looked at data uh, on six-minute walk distance and COPD, and it's very powerful in that you looked at over 14,000 patients. And th these patients were pooled from six observational studies and five randomized controlled trials. So uh, I'd ask you a two-part question. First, what was the basis of inclusion of these 11 studies? And then second, you know, pooling data from observational and randomized uh, controlled trials, were you concerned about heterogeneity uh, when looking at uh, pooling patients in that way? All right, let me start with the uh, criteria for inclusion in the study. First of all, we had to have the original data. So we queried every walk test. It wasn't like, a meta-analysis where you just take results. We went back to the original data in all of these studies. So the data had to be available. Number two, it had to have more than 100 patients in the study. And number three, the, the patient had to have been followed for at least three months. Those were the criteria. Of, the, of course, that limited the number of papers or the number of, of studies that we could recruit and pull out and bring to a central database. Now, the reason why we insisted on having randomized clinical trials and observational studies was twofold. Number one, it's the six-minute walking distance has been criticized as being a test that varies from site to site, that it you know is never repeatable. So having uh, studies that differed in design, but all had done six-minute walking distance allowed us to compare with it or to test this hypothesis that they're different. To our surprise, they're not different. If you pull the randomized clinical trials that were done primarily by pharma companies and compare with the observational studies, the characteristics of the patients were very similar. The results were so similar that they were all put together except the randomized national emphysema trial where there was a surgical component. So yes, we were worried and we wanted to answer the question whether a six minute walking distance done 
in a randomized trial of any medication differs from one in the observational study, and we found that that was not the case. Now, is there a possibility that we are combining apple and oranges? Well, that would be likely if we had found that they were different, but since we found that they were fairly similar in all of the characteristics, to our surprise, one of our conclusions was that the six-minute walking test can be used anywhere, anytime, following the recommendations, and you will get results that are reliable. I, I would like to state that some of the observational studies were international in nature. They were patients from South America, from Europe, uh, and uh, some of the randomized control trials were also international. So when we looked at regions, even though there were differences in region response to the six-mile walking distance, there was no difference between uh, randomized trials or observational trials. Okay. Uh, well, so I, I want to dig a little deeper into your findings. Uh, I find this fascinating. Uh, and it appears you had three different hypotheses. So I'd like to take the results uh, of each of these one at a time. Uh, your first was that six-minute walk distance is a valid biomarker to stratify patients at baseline for risk of death, hospitalization, and exacerbations in COPD trials. So in terms of that hypothesis, uh, what did you find? Well, we found that indeed, if you take a patient and you walk him and or her, and they walk less than 350 meters, your risk of death increases as your distance walk decreases. And it increases about 18% per each 50 meters of decrease in the six minute walking distance. And this was seen both in men and in women across the world and both in the randomized and non-randomized trial. So the six minute walking distance, as has been shown for exercise in general, is an excellent predictor of death. So if you were to study a medication, and we've seen now a recent trial, the SUMMIT trial published uh, where mortality was the endpoint, you may want to, to select individuals who have a limited walking distances that will allow you to recruit more patients and decrease the power of your study. So it is a very good predictor of death. Secondly, we did find that it was a decent, not as good as for mortality, but a decent predictor of hospitalization. And this has also been shown before in much smaller trials, specialty, uh, especially in the elderly. As far as exacerbations, which is a superb outcome, it is a valid predictor, but it's not as good. I would not select the six-minute walking distance as a test to predict exacerbations where we have variables such as the history of a previous exacerbation that has a very high odds ratio of predicting a subsequent exacerbation. Uh, having said that, we don't need the six-minute walking distance for that outcome, even though it predicts it. It is much better if we're going to try medications for a disease that kills, I don't know, 130,000 people in the U.S. every year and about 300,000 in the Western Hemisphere alone, I think selecting a test that is simple that would allow you to stratify patients is very good. 
Well, you've already alluded to this a little bit about, but I wanted to talk about your second hypothesis that six-minute walk uh, distance threshold values could enrich uh, studies in terms of a, a baseline, you know, for a risk, uh, a patient being at higher risk uh, for some of the outcomes we've discussed. So you mentioned 350 meters. And so how did that threshold correlate in terms of risk for death, hospitalizations, and exacerbations? Well, it does very good for, for death. And for example, I'd like to mention there were two recent studies. I already mentioned the summit that had 17,000 patients enrolled to try to see if a therapy was more effective than placebo on mortality. Uh, there was the, the Teospear study that uh, also recruited about 18,000 patients. So uh, until now, the mortality trials of COPD have required a huge number of patients. If we were to select patients by having this biomarker being abnormal, lower than 350, and we have actually made a table in the paper that shows how many patients you would need for how long a period to be able to, to more or less predict death and the power of a study, you would see that it would be probably one-fourth of the numbers that I have just mentioned. So. So in a way, I believe this variable will help the field move forward, primarily because it points out that we may be able to affect areas beyond and above the lungs themselves. And number two, because we could then power the study to need lesser number of patients for a shorter period of time to be able to achieve those goals. Well, those would obviously be extremely uh, valuable uh, in the future. Uh, and I guess then the third hypothesis, we were talking about sort of being able to use the distance as a threshold for enrollment and inclusion. But obviously, the uh, in terms of as an endpoint, do changes in six-minute walk distance correlate with improved functional capacity from COPD therapies? So what did you find there in, in your analysis? This was very interesting and very novel. If we already knew somewhat or a little or with some evidence that six-minute walking distance predicts mortality, if we already knew that in only one paper before that it predicted hospitalization, there was a question that we could answer that was extremely important, which is, do bronchodilators change the six-minute walking distance in the hopes that changing that variable would imply changes in the ulterior outcomes of death, hospitalizations, or exacerbations. Because we had four randomized trials, relatively large, I think it was around 5,000 patients altogether, on bronchodilators, we found that whether you were on the bronchodilator or on the placebo, it did not impact on the six-minute walking distance. So by and large, bronchodilators will not change the, the six-minute walking distance, and this would not be a good test to test bronchodilators. On the other hand, we had the unique capacity of look at the patients included in the National Emphysema Surgical Trial. For those that do not know, and just to refresh everyone, this trial enrolled severe patients with COPD into two arms, one that was medical and one that was surgical. The surgical therapy was long volume reduction surgery primarily beneficial for people in the upper lobes. Interestingly, the surgical arm resulted in a significant change in the, in the six-minute walking distance. And importantly, 
the increase in six-minute walking distance was larger as the FEV1 improvement was also larger in that cohort. So we found that a, a therapy that radically changes lung volume, that does change the functional capacity of the patient, results in changes in the six-minute walking distance. And therefore, we believe that therapies that improve muscle function uh, in the case of lung volume reduction, perhaps through better offering of oxygen to the periphery, as it does result in improve in improved oxygenation, or lesser work of breathing with redistribution of blood flow, uh, does improve the the outcome, and therefore the six-minute walking distance could be an outcome measure for therapies aimed at improving functional capacity. So that that's very interesting, and. Uh... You know, as you mentioned, I, I, the out-of-the-box thinking, I think, is where we come up with some of our greatest discoveries, and that's why I was particularly interested to do, a, to do this podcast with you, and, and I appreciate you taking the time. So based on what you found uh, in terms of a threshold for inclusion to enrich further studies, and then you didn't really find an improvement in functional capacity with bronchodilators, but certainly um, very uh, a, a six-minute walk test distance that correlates with functional capacity, I should say, um, with bronchodilators. But the, the, the data from the NET trial is very interesting about non-bronchodilator therapies. So thinking about where we go from here, and obviously your consortium obviously spends a great deal of time thinking about this more than, than, than most of us. So how would you incorporate six-minute walk distance into a future COPD trial based on what you found? Well, I believe the time has come to think again outside of the box, in this case, outside of the thorax. Uh, we need therapies that are addressing the extra pulmonary domains of COPD, amongst them the muscles. You know, that's the largest reservoir of mitochondria, and mitochondria feeds on oxygen. So I have this dream by which patients can be selected who have compromise in their functional capacity expressed as a six minute walking distance and that uh, companies or researchers who are interested in the field will develop therapies aimed at improving that particular component, which is a very good predictor of, of, of quality of life and of ultimate death. So that to me is a, is a very good product, end product of this exercise. The second one is that if some company or research group wants to do a study aiming at mortality as the endpoint, they may want to select patients based on decreased walking capacity, which will already provide you with a substrate of individuals likely to have that outcome. Do I know of any future trials that will be doing this? Well, there are trials. You know, there are trials with antioxidants. They've concentrated on the pulmonary response but, but to me, uh, perhaps they should look further. There are trials aimed at uh, using molecules that improve muscle function that are oral and subcutaneous. And uh, there are trials that improve nutrition. And I think all of them may benefit from looking at this as an outcome. Uh, I know of a trial sponsored by the NIH right now uh, looking at the six-minute walking distance as the outcome of nutritional, nutritional supplement with a component that I, at this moment, do not remember, but I know it is ongoing. So, so this will be looked at. 
I am convinced that this this variable will be approved by the FDA as a as a an outcome predictor of COPD, and hopefully it will have an impact now that we have clarified that it can be used on the field, it can be used everywhere, it can be used by researcher and clinical clinicians to better improve the therapy of their patients. What. Thank you for that. I just wanted to follow up a, a little bit. So I, I think that that's really interesting and, and obviously important and in, obviously in an area that hasn't been studied enough in terms of outside the, the thorax. So would you propose, uh, you know, using in terms of the, there are two parts, right, the the enrollment and the inclusion and then the outcome. So would you would you think your findings, would you say uh, enrolling patients with a six minute walk distance of less than 350 meters uh, again, to, to enrich these trials, because it's very hard to find endpoints, obviously, when you're looking at, um, to try to find uh, meeting primary endpoints when you're looking at things like nutritional therapies and such. So that as an inclusion of 350, do you think that's the, that's, um, that data is robust there that you could do that? And then when you look at changes in distance and, and such, you would look at that in the, in the non-bronchodilator, primarily the extra thoracic um, um, interventions directed at extrathoracic uh, effects of COPD. Absolutely. I, I truly believe that that what you have mentioned should be the basis of the use of this data. Uh, right now, let me just express, for example, a clinical scenario. It's not the same to see somebody with very severe COPD who's able to walk 450 meters. He is unlikely by this data to die in the near future, and then to introduce that patient into a study or enroll him in a study where the outcome may be mortality, and then try a therapy attempting to impact on it, would be unlikely to be successful. It would be much more successful if the criteria for inclusion was a patient with the same degree of airflow obstruction, but who walked less than 350, 250, 280, 190, whatever the meters may be. Secondly, it is much more likely that a therapy aimed at that particular group, aimed at improving muscle function, would result in an improvement than in somebody whose walking distance is close to normal. Uh, one of the problems we have with research in many areas today is that therapies are giving monoclonal antibodies against X, Y, or Z and selecting patients only by having one variable that is abnormal low FEV1 in the case of COPD. Uh, perhaps that is why some of the therapies that have been used have failed, because we haven't selected the biomarker that characterizes or increases the possibility that that therapy may be effective. Well, I think that's a really interesting point. And, you know, it's interesting even in talking about critical care, right, the, the new sepsis definitions and the hopes for precision medicine, but you have to have the appropriate markers uh, and the appropriate group of patients to study your intervention. So I think that this makes, um, this hopefully advances the field. And, and I thank you for taking time to talk about this. It's very interesting. And is there anything else you'd like to mention in close uh, that we haven't uh, discussed already on this podcast in, in terms of, uh, of your study? Well, look, as a, as a person who sees patients with COPD, I, I would love to popularize this test in our field. It is still underutilized. I have already mentioned the specific cases of people who walk very well in spite of having severe obstruction, 
I propose to the clinicians that this is a test they can use routinely in their COPD patients to value or to evaluate their functional capacity. I would love to see it incorporated into the BOAT index, which it is part of, so the, the, the physician can have a, a better view of how their patient may have a risk of having poor outcomes. And uh, my desire and, and hopefully what will happen in the future is that this will be used as a way to expand the therapeutic target of investigators and, and drug companies so they can think of therapies outside of the lungs that would improve the overall outcome of patients who suffer from this devastating disease. Well, I, I thank you for, for an excellent conversation, and uh, it's been a pleasure, Dr. Jelly. It's been my pleasure, and all the best to everyone. I appreciate Dr. Jelly agreeing to join me today for a great discussion. So it appears that a six-minute walk test may be useful as an entry criteria in COPD trials, and further as a general outcome measure in some COPD subgroups. Still, the specific uses of six-minute walk distance in COPD need to be clarified by further study. Thank you for listening, and I encourage you to stay tuned for more Out of the Blue podcasts that are released every other Tuesday. Please subscribe to them on iTunes, or you can find them on the ATS Journal's website. I'm Nathan Seem for the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine.